following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Seats, I'm going to take just a moment. There was one in every other seat that was printed for you and placed there for you. And it is uh, a copy of our ministry partnerships that we have. We've said as a church that part of being a, uh, a church that is transformed by the gospel, an individual that is transformed by the gospel, is that we serve the needs of others. We have a ministry uh, team that uh, looks over, facilitates, and brings together the ministries uh, around the world, nationally and locally, so that we can best partner with them. And so all of those uh, folks are listed for you here with some prayer requests from them. And with that is just a letter from me explaining where we are in the process of every year our church, from our general fund, every bit of money that comes into our church, we give 10% of that. We tithe it uh, back to uh, serving the needs of others outside of our church. And then that number is supplemented by your sacrificial offering and giving above and beyond the normal tithe. Uh, And this year, we uh, want to expand uh, our service reach out into the world and around our country and here as we've done And so you'll see that we are asking you and praying uh, that you would partner with us financially, you would partner with us in prayer, and that you would partner with us in a willingness to go uh, around the world and to serve the needs of others. It's exciting to see what God is uh, doing in our church. I look around and uh, we can think about some like uh, the Peters who went on a short-term trip and decided to stay for a couple of years. Jan Hoagland who goes uh, regularly uh, to serve in, uh, in Africa. I think of Kathy Levitt in her ministry uh, with uh, Tiny Hands and, and others. And even in my own family, uh, we're excited that our son Zach is heading off in a couple of weeks to move to South Africa for a year uh, to serve there as a young man and to serve Christ in South Africa. So to see what God is doing in our church, moving in the lives of individuals, I hope encourages you. Uh, and so we want you to partner with us in this. If you have questions, you can talk to me. You can talk to Peter File, who is the head of that team. Uh, there are others who are part of that or listed in that for you. So uh, take that, pray about it, and come back uh, next week prepared to commit uh, to how it is that you will partner uh, in this serve ministry. If you need another copy of this, there are some on your way out, and there are some on the empty chairs uh, that are around. But take this. Use it as a resource for you. Pray through it regularly. Get in touch with these uh, folks uh, around the country and around the world. I'll tell you a quick story, and then I've got to move on. But a good friend of mine, one a man who actually uh, started the ministry that Zach's going to be with, Gabe Smith. Gabe was a teenager in my middle school ministry in Charlotte. Gabe went on to West Point Military Academy. He served numerous tours of duty in the Middle East. He was at the Pentagon on 9-11. And one of the famous pictures that you see of a few of the servicemen uh, standing above the ruin there, the burned out part, holding an American flag, that's Gabe, is one of those. He went on into ministry and was serving And what I know from Gabe and our life together and sharing life together is that he still wrestles with PTSD uh, and uh, just all that he saw of the things that were there at 9-11, all that he saw. But I'm in relationship with Gabe. And so on 9-11 this year, uh, I sent him an email and I said, hey, just praying for you. I know today's a tough day. 
and he was in South Africa, and uh, he said, and it was so sad, he said, thank you. He said, I'm sitting here by myself in my room wondering if anybody remembered me. Write to these folks. Know them well enough to know what dates are significant to them. Know them well enough to know their children's names and to, to encourage them along the way. Our mutual friends, the Linkstons, who are in Australia, I get an email every Sunday from him telling me about his ministry to the down and out in Australia, the ones who no one else wants to be with. It's a good day in their church when a drunken fight doesn't break out. Think about that in our context. So how was church today? Well, we didn't have a drunken fight. That was good. Bob and Sue, they didn't punch each other in the nose, you know, but that's their ministry. And uh, uh, it's awesome to be partnered with them. So I hope you'll take opportunity with that. You see, serving the needs of others is an assignment that we're given by Christ. It's not an option that we're offered. He says, go into all of the world. Go into the spheres of influence while you are going, actually. In the, he says, while you're going, while you're going about your life, while you're on your way, make sure that you're making disciples in my name, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, that you will be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and to do these things, that there are no loopholes, that all of us are called to be individuals as Christians and as a collective body, a church called to serve the needs of others. Where we are in Jerusalem, nationally, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world, international mission. And that's uh, how we view our work here. And so we've asked the question, really, uh, how is it that we do that? What's the main ingredient? And we said that humility was key. That it's within our humility of if we have been loved by Christ, then we're willing to love like Christ. That he was willing to wash the disciples' feet. That the need dictates how we serve, not what we're willing to do. That we joked around and said a couple of weeks ago when we were over at the uh, uh, School for Creative Arts, that one team was over there uh, cleaning uh, the tables in the cafeteria. And they said, now, not just the top of the tables, but we need you to clean under the tables as well. And we said, we're a top table cleaning church only. Sorry. No, the need demands and drives how we're going to serve. And so we have to uh, look and go, we have the resources. We're willing to allocate the resources. We don't want to overpromise and underdeliver, but we will go and we will serve and we will do. This week, we're going to be looking at I'm no good at titles with uh, sermons. It says one another, serving one another. And that is true of serving one another, but it really is the understanding of the theology and the theological framework, as it were, in which we go and serve, that we have to understand. We say that we are a gospel-centered church that serves, that we're being transformed by the gospel. And so what we're really going to look at today is how is it that the gospel frees us to serve uh, the needs of other people? And if you have your Bibles, flip with me over uh, to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at the first 15 verses. This is not man's word, it is God's word, and therefore let's ask him uh, to teach us this morning. Let's pray. Father, come now and speak through your word. By the power of your spirit, bring these words to life 
that they would minister to our hearts and that they would change us because you are speaking to your servants. Lift, listen this morning. Amen. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole loaf, the lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and that no one, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still teach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing into the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. First thing that we understand about serving and about the influence of the gospel on serving is that Christ frees us to serve one another. That the freedom Christ gives to us is designed to allow us and compel us to serve the needs of of other people. Paul says, for freedom you've been set free. Stand firm, therefore. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, verse 13. Brothers, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It's fascinating in Galatians chapter 5, the context. The context of the discussion of serving the needs of other people out of the freedom that we've received in Christ is a context of the gospel itself. How is it that we are saved? Paul is in the midst of a discussion, as it were. He's in the midst of a problem within the church. And at the very core of the problem is theology. It's the understanding of how is it that someone is saved. Paul would say, it's Christ alone. It's Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in which we find ourselves justified in Christ, that we receive the perfect righteousness of Christ, given to us freely, not based on our own merits, but on the very beautiful merit of Christ, and that we, who were totally lost and dead in our sins and trespasses, by God's beautiful love and choice for us, he then gives us this life, and we stand in front of him now, fully adopted, loved, and bear his name. And everyone would go, amen. That's good. That's awesome stuff. Yep, good stuff. That's the gospel that I understand. Paul would say, yeah, but there's a problem. There's some other people coming into your churches, folks. And they're saying this, it's Jesus and. 
It's Jesus and your good works. It's Jesus, and in the context back here, it's Jesus and circumcision, which was a picture or picturesque uh, of works of the law, saying, hey, you do need Jesus, but you also need to quit doing a bunch of things and start doing a bunch of other things. It is Jesus, but it's also your morality that is added to it to really make sure that you're saved. So it's Jesus plus. And Paul was saying, hey, If it's Jesus plus anything, run. Because if it's Jesus plus anything, it's not the gospel. And if it's not the gospel, it cannot save you. And if it cannot save you, it actually will damn you. Because you are putting all of your hope into a false gospel. And that gospel won't lead you to life. And Paul was a little upset by all this. Can you pick it up in his writing? I mean, this, look. I mean, he's writing going, look, come on. And for them, it was circumcision. It was, hey, get this outward act of the law on your body, and then you will be saved. Paul says, those people preaching that, don't stop at circumcision. Go all the way and emasculate yourselves. And then later, in another place, he says, I hope that you would be anathema into hell. He is so strong because he says this, if you present Christ plus, you are damning people to hell. And folks, around the world, the fastest growing fake gospel is Christ plus. It is Christ Christ plus speaking in tongues. It is Christ plus sowing signs of the Spirit. Christ plus your good morality. Get cleaned up, come to church, give your money, do all of these things. And if you give all of your money, if you serve all of these things, if you're a good person, then you get Jesus, then you get heaven. And guess what? Paul would go, no. That's why we care so much about who we partner with in ministry, to make sure that they're out proclaiming the gospel. Because we want people to hear the true gospel to come to faith in the true gospel, and to be saved. And Paul was saying, now, all of that, that proper understanding, that proper orthodoxy, what you believe, the indicative, who you are, that you're justified in Christ, that's what's happened. It leads to proper orthopraxy, or the imperative, now go and do. Because he's saying this, you can't understand serving if you have the wrong gospel. Because if you are a legalist, a moralist, one who thinks that somehow your good works are getting you into heaven, are adding to the work of Jesus Christ, then you may serve the needs of other people, but you are serving them so that you gain something back. You are actually using them. You don't love them. Paul said this is done in love. But if you need to serve them, if you have to serve them so that it's your righteousness is built up, you're nothing to me other than helping me get what I want. And therefore, when you don't respond in the way that I need you to respond, I resent you. That I don't really love you, I'm using you for my own salvation. Paul was saying this, if you want to serve people properly, understand the gospel properly. Understand how you were loved. Understand how you were saved. And the freedom that you have there now frees you to do this. What do you need from me? Let me care for your needs. Oh, you need me to go across the world to reach you? Okay, I'll do that. Oh, uh, you, you want me to sacrificially give? Oh, you want me to, to go and to clean under the tables? Okay, I, I can do that. Christ cleaned under my tables, so I guess I can clean under your tables. Uh, I'll wash your feet because Christ washed my feet 
Uh, all of those things come from a proper understanding of the gospel. Do you understand now why we hammer over and over and over again what you believe matters? Parents, especially of teenage boys, does it matter what your teenage boys believe? I love to pick on the teenage boy brain because I don't understand it. I find it fascinating. I had one one time. Thank God it's long distance in the past. Because here's what teenage boy brains are doing right now. Tide pods. Let's put them in our mouths and eat them. Because that's what teenage boy brains are doing right now. And you know what's happening to those teenage boy bodies? They're dying. Because they're stupid brains. And and their belief that somehow getting the approval of their other idiot friends is more important than their own health. And they're going, sure, who knew that the detergent section was also the buffet? But that's what's happening. And some of you are going, really, Bill? Really. Because what you believe matters. And there's an invincibility in teenage life and in adolescence that says this, this can never happen to me. It can never happen to me. I was talking with one of my sons uh, not too long ago, and he was telling me about riding with a friend uh, in his friend's car, and his friend liked to drive about 105 down one of the two-lane roads nearby here. I was sitting going, I'm so glad I didn't know that before right now. Because there's an invincibility that thinks that driving 105 on a dark two-lane road uh, in Beaufort County is something smart to do. Belief matters. Now, parents, before we just leave it with teenagers, it matters what you believe. It matters what you believe about heaven and hell. It matters what you believe about the gospel. It matters what you believe in your life and in your religion. It matters. You see, this is what we believe. The the free freedom that we have been given by Christ frees us to freely love others. Did you pick up that? Was I redundant enough? The free freedom that we receive freely from Christ frees us to freely serve the needs of others. That's what we believe, which then leads us to this. Okay, it says serve the needs of others. Well, it would probably be helpful that I know who the others are. And that comes up here in the latter part of this lesson. For you were called to freedom, verse 13, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the question comes. It's a reasonable question. Who am I supposed to be serving? Who is my neighbor? And as you hear those words, who is my neighbor? All of a sudden, those of you who have studied uh, the Bible a little bit, have been around in Sunday school when you were a kid, go, I've heard that. Somebody, Somebody asked that question. Oh. That's right, Luke chapter 10, uh, it was the young ruler within uh, the church. It was one who was there in the church, a lawyer. Doesn't necessarily say that he was young. And it says this, the lawyer stood up in front of Jesus to put him to the test. I always love that. Okay, (laughs) have at it. Um, And he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And it's desiring to justify himself. Interesting choice of words. 
He said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? You can almost see it with a flip of the head. So who's my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road. And when he saw the man on the side of the road, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place uh, and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave to them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor uh, to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Interesting. The context of who is my neighbor, who am I supposed to serve, is within a discussion on salvation. How do I inherit eternal life? The connection can't be missed. Paul did it in the midst of that. And now Jesus is saying, listen, a proper understanding of eternal life, a proper understanding of salvation leads you to a proper understanding of who your neighbor is. And he tells this story, and I'll quickly tell you the context. A lot of you have heard it. But there was a man. We don't know what kind of man. He came from Jerusalem heading to Jericho. He was on business or something. And he got mugged. And he was beaten up. And he was left half dead on the side of the road. He was a bloody mess on the side of the road. And in, in current terms, a pastor walked by, and he looked over. There's a bloody guy on the side of the road. He looks half dead. He noticed him, and he walked on by because we probably had a session meeting or an elders meeting or had to take care of some good thing that we needed to do in church. We couldn't be messing around with a bloody half-dead guy on the side of the road. So then, a little while later, the worship pastor walks by. A Levite. The Levites were in charge of the worship within the temple. And so Bill McCutcheon passed by on that side. And then on this side, Matt Scott comes by and goes, Wow, look, bloody person, beat up, half dead on the side of the road. That's just a crying shame. I got to get to rehearsal tonight because we got to get ready to take care of all the saints on Sunday morning. So I can't be bothered by this person on the side of the road. And then a racially integrated ethnic mess who was hated by Jews, came walking down the road, a Samaritan. And he looked at the man who was most likely a Jew because he came from Jerusalem. He looked at the man and said that he had compassion on him and he took care of his needs. And he bound him up. Most of the time, this story is taught and saying, see, you need to be like the Samaritan. I'm going to turn it a little bit. You will never serve like the Samaritan, who, by the way, uh, is portrayed in here as a non-Christian, just as a person who didn't have uh, the true gospel, but yet he was willing to serve out of his humanism or out of his own missed religion. How much more should we who have Christ serve the needs of other people? But here's who I want you to relate with first. You need to relate with the half-dead guy in the ditch. You need to see yourself in the ditch. You will never serve the needs of other people. 
You will never be able to identify your neighbor until you recognize that you were the neighbor in the ditch. And that ditch may be lined uh, with gold for you. Your life may be perfectly wonderful on the outside, but you need to see uh, that you were mugged by life internally and that you have no hope of life uh, otherwise that you're in the ditch. Or maybe your life truly shows and people can look at your life and can go, man, it's been mugged. Life has left you half dead and beaten up over there. You've been abused. You have been assaulted. You have been left behind. You have been unloved. You have been caught up in addiction. You have been bankrupt. You have been morally bankrupt, whatever it is. But you're sitting on the side uh, of the street, and you're watching religious people go by all the time until one stops. And he looks, and he bends down, and he says, I'll take care of you. And he doesn't take you to an inn. He takes you to his father's house. And he says to his father, I'm going to pay more than two denarii. I'm going to pay with my very life for this person's soul. I want you to bind them up. I want you to make them whole. I want you to give to them everything that is mine, Father. I want you to give them my inheritance, which is heaven itself, which is your love, which is my position, my signet ring. I want you to give to him. I want you to clothe him her. I want you to take care of them. And in that moment, when you can recognize that you have been in the ditch and have been loved by Christ, then guess what? You're willing to go love other people when they're in a ditch. But you never will until you recognize that you're in a ditch. And most of us, you know what we do when we see people in ditches? How'd they get in the ditch? Man, they just worked harder, studied harder. They just listened to their parents. If they came from a better home, if they voted differently, if they were a different race, if they were a different this, if they were a different something, if they just asked me, I would have helped them get out of the ditch. They're a mess. They got in the ditch themselves. Let them get out of the ditch themselves. We're not in a welfare state. You'll never serve the needs of another person until you see that you were in that state. You will never be Christ to that person until you see that Christ knelt down for you. Folks, that's who our neighbor is. It's everybody who's in need around us. It's everybody who is in need around us. Your neighbors, your family, the people that you work with, the people on the, on the teams that you play on, the other students in your schools, that we serve their needs And the beauty is we realize this, we serve their needs because we have been served and that I don't need anything that they give back to me. I don't even need a thank you note. I don't need an acknowledgement on Facebook. I don't need anything. They don't need to say how great I am. I'm just going to serve their needs. And if they recognize it, great. If they don't, that's okay too. Because I want them to see Christ, not me. I want to stoop down, and I've been given the willingness and the ability to stoop down and to get into the ditch. So many of us are so busy on our way to religion that we can't stop. So many of us are terrified that maybe we'll get dirty if we... Do you think that guy got a little bloody messy when he knelt down? Because how did he get the dude on his horse? You ever thought about that? He probably picked him up. So he's got the guy's junk on him. Folks, loving and caring for the needs of other people is messy. And if you don't want to get messy, 
then Christian service isn't for you. And if Christian service isn't for you, then I've got a question a little bit earlier on in the whole equation. Have you really met Christ? Have you seen that face kneeled down towards you? In that way, Christian ministry is messy. So who's our neighbor? Jesus would say everybody that you come in contact with is your neighbor. And here to love them. It's tempting to run off on some political notes right about now of who's our neighbor. But here's what I'll say about our neighbor. God's bringing a lot of people into our country with an opportunity to share the gospel with them. So while they're here, let's get busy. I don't care about your politics. I think there needs to be proper laws. But while those laws are in place and while there are folks here, guess what, folks? Our neighbors are there. And we can be the wonderful conservative religious right, and we can walk right by them, or we can start getting into the ditches with them, and we can start to share Christ with them, and we can start to tell them about Christ, and we can feed them, and we can help them learn our language, and we can go out and do, because, you see, we were all at some time an immigrant in this regard. We were foreign to heaven, and Christ reached down and brought us into his kingdom That's about all, as close as I'll get to a political statement for those of you who are wondering. Because here's what I know. We love our neighbor, whoever they are, because we've first been loved. And then the final thing I'll say is this. Serving the needs of others is an antidote to our flesh. Serving the needs of others is an antidote to our flesh. He says this. You've been called to freedom, brothers, verse 13. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve the needs of others. Basically he's saying this, you've been freed now, you can't lose your salvation, it's been given to you, you now can live as ever you want to live. Now you would hope that you're compelled by the love of Christ not to live however you want to live, but you don't have to serve, and so people are going, oh, I don't have to serve the needs of others. My flesh is telling me the flesh is looking for opportunity to go against these things from Christ. And so when you feel at that moment that you don't feel like serving the needs of somebody else, guess what you should do at that very moment? serve because it's a reminder oh i was served i i was cared for christ clothed my nakedness he fed my uh, hungry belly Uh, he spoke to me he saw me for so many people they just want to be seen in a ditch for we walk by them unnamed faceless people and we say just get a job and what we're saying is Speak to your flesh. Put a face with them. Care for your neighbor. How many of you all have a neighbor? There you go. You've got a ministry. How many of you all work with other people? You've got a ministry. Go to school with other people? Live in a community with other people. There you go. All of us have neighbors. And all of us are called to serve. So this week, at the moment that you don't feel like serving, here's what I want you to do. Serve. Serve. Fight your flesh. Don't give in to it. That's what Jesus is saying. So you see, there's a beautiful theology of the gospel that comes to us. And it says, friends, you're free. You're free. All of us one day are going to be introduced to Jesus Christ. He's going to return one day, and we're going to see him. My hope for you is that won't be the first time that you meet him. My hope for you when you see Christ one day is that you'll look at him and go, I know that face. That's the face that knelt down 
and pulled me out of my ditch. That's the face that was bloodied on my behalf. Those are the hands that touched me. That's the one who I've known and walked with my whole life. My hope for you today is that you'll meet that Christ today. Don't wait until the surprise visit at the end of time. But today, come to the one who has served you and continues to serve you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful Christ, this beautiful gospel that we have. And we pray that you would give us opportunity, which you have, that you would give us gumption to go out and to do it, that you give us the power of your spirit, and you would give us the love that we have received from Christ, and that we would see Christ again refreshed today. And then, then we would go out into our neighborhoods, into our schools this week, into the places where we work, the places where we play, uh, that we would go and that we would share Christ's love in a tangible way, by a note, by a meal, by a simple hello at the mailbox, that we would, we would go in your name and that you would give us eyes to see the busted, broken lives that are strewn all around, some truly in ditches and some behind beautiful gates, but still broken, busted lives that need the touch of a Savior. So, Father, we praise you today and we give you glory in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing.